G'day, g'day, g'day. I'm Hayden Idris, and I'm here with my good friend Dylan Holly. And this is Howdy. the <laughs> and this is the Dance Brands podcast. Yeah, first episode. Uh, first episode, indeed. And the the podcast is kind of uh, the result of an ongoing dialogue between the two of us about self improvement and collaborative learning between the two of us. I guess. Obviously, we're both dancers, and we feel like we can learn a lot from each other. And we thought, why not chuck a mic in front of our face and share it with other people that maybe also could benefit from it? Yeah, exactly. So for people, we are currently in quarantine as well. So we're recording this via the interweb, which is keeping everybody connected these days. Yeah, and we're going to talk a bit about the whole situation for artists, both company-wise and freelance-wise at the end of this podcast. But we have some topics that we'd kind of plan to talk about for episode one anyway, which I think we're going to start with. Yeah, which we'll dive into. Maybe you want to give us a little bit of background about yourself? Yeah, so my name is Dylan Holly. I'm Irish, born in Ireland, currently in Ireland because of quarantine, but I'm based in the Netherlands, based in a small town called Tilburg, where I used to study and now I work predominantly as a teacher and freelancer, kind of finding my path. Urban background, started with kind of choreo type classes, ended up joining a crew in Ireland and just wanted to do more and more dance. Eventually ended up studying in the Netherlands at the age of 21, which was a bit late, but sure, I'm here now anyway. My main style is tutting. For those who know it, for those who don't, it's very angular. It's all about angles. It's the easiest way to think of it is like hieroglyphics. That's why it's called Tutting, King Tut, Pharaoh Tutankhamun. Just some trivia for people. But yeah, that's that's um, my main thing. Trained as a contemporary dancer as well, so I'm a mishmash of something. But yeah, that's me. And tell us about yourself there, Hayden. So I'm Australian. Uh, did majority of my education, both academic and dance, in Australia. And then when I was 17, came over to the Netherlands and did my pre-professional year at Dutch National Ballet Academy, where I feel like I got a really good technical tutelage, really made me a competent mover. And although I don't feel like necessarily nurtured my creative side, I feel like it got me to a point which allowed me to enter into the company where I'm at now, which is IntroDance. And I've been there now for five years, did my internship there my first year and then stayed on on a contract. And uh, I mean, there I've, I've got a lot of experience on stage, collaborating with choreographers and getting experience in different creative processes um, and just really great exposure to different ways of movement, which I didn't have throughout my education. So, yeah, it's really generated a lot of curiosity within myself and opened up my desire for development and progression in, in different styles that I didn't necessarily train in. Cool. Yeah, because your school was like predominantly ballet, right? Or was it like did you do anything else in school? Or was it like 100% uh, ballet? I mean, predominantly classical, yeah. You, you have, I think in most classical educations, you have like little bits of contemporary and modern exposure. But uh, yeah, predominantly classical, you're doing conditioning and classical class and partnering, which is part of the... So, yeah. yeah. So a little limited in that way. Not a lot of experience before I came here to introduce in modern or any other styles. And yeah, that's been the great thing about being in a repertoire company like Intro Dance is that you're doing eight to 10 new pieces a year and they can range from a whole different range of styles, you know. So that's been the great thing for me. And I feel like that's forced me to develop a lot and open up my mind in terms of curiosity. 
yeah, I can understand that because if you come from a background that's so streamlined and then you get into a company that is not so streamlined. Fair enough, I think most people would see intro dances being quite a specific thing, but it is, I guess they have been changing over the years. Their original idea was like introduction to modern dance in the Netherlands. And now they are doing more and more contemporary rap, which is interesting to hear what that does for you if you yeah, don't have that background doing a contemporary education. We have a lot of different teachers, a lot of different input and different sources of input, different styles of dance coming in and out of the building, as well as dancers with a more varied background. So, um, Yeah, and I think, uh, I mean, obviously being in a repertoire company, you're still still quite limited in that repertoire comes in and it's taught to you and you have to learn it and you have to yeah. get it to a point where it's ready for stage. And so that process in itself forces you to develop and progress yourself as a dancer in different styles, but it doesn't necessarily give you a great foundation in those styles in terms of education. Yeah, you're not encouraged to explore too much because you have like a limited amount of time to get something ready for stage. Exactly. But definitely the exposure fundamentally to those styles forces you to be curious in order to keep getting better. Yeah, you have to be open because if you're given a task that um, you can't get with, then it's going to be difficult. <laughs> yeah, then then you're not doing a job, you know. So yeah, yeah, you got to be a good 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 tool for the, for the tool. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To give some context, we don't mean tool in a bad way. It's a running joke between me and Hayden that becoming a dancer is becoming a very good tool. Um, <laughs> we've had we've had this debate before where I believe that it is the job of a dancer to be a good <laughs> instrument for the choreographer in order to propose and and interpret movement for the choreographer. Dylan I like has your... a dif- different, different view. Well, I, I like that you use the word instrument now. <laughs> um, it's just because you said tool right now and it made me feel like a tool. So Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't know. Of, of course, as a like as any kind of dancer, freelancer or company based, you're working in line with what a choreographer is trying to achieve or what they're giving you task based or whatever. I guess the difference is I try to think of the tools that I have to bring to the table that I as an individual can use to help create something rather than just simply thinking of myself as the tool. But yeah, I do get you that you're always working in service of the artist and the artist uses certain tools to achieve the art. Yeah, I mean, I'm in no way demeaning the collaborative efforts between <laughs> between a, a dancer and the choreographer because no doubt that's a collaboration. But uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no good to clarify, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah, I guess one thing that um, we've kind of already talked a bit about the fact that our education was different. But yeah, this is something that I guess we wanted to talk about today is the pros and cons we felt within our respectively different pre-professional educations? Yeah, I mean, I suppose I definitely feel like my classical education provided me with a competency in technique and physically. It definitely made me a versatile instrument in service of choreographers and in service of work. I feel like I missed the nurturing of my creative and artistic individual individuality throughout my education and that's something that for me has come now through my professional career. I suppose my question is 
is it the responsibility of an education to do either or in that they're nurturing your creative and uh, artistic individuality or they're training you as a physical instrument in service of the work? Or is it the responsibility of, of an education to provide both? And how can that be done? Because I don't see a lot of educations that do that necessarily well in both dimensions. Um, yeah, I don't know. This is a tough thing. Like we talked about this a few times where like education, I think, is a stepping stone that everybody like not everybody has to go through. I know a lot of great dancers who never went to a formal education, but I guess the majority of ones you meet in the working field have gone to one. But I think very few of those dancers will say that who they are and all the skills they have now that they got them all from their education. Because yeah, I know because I yeah, because I, I know like, well, looking at you and your development over the last few years that I've known you and hearing that your background was really predominantly ballet and originally you only wanted to be a ballet dancer. And then... I think the, the more alarming thing is that the education didn't instill in me necessarily. And this could just be me as as a personal case. But the education didn't necessarily instill in me the curiosity to explore other dimensions of dance besides what I was training. Yeah. And, and yeah, for, me, yeah. for me, that's an alarming thing. Yeah, I know. But at the same time, it was a ballet school. So it's like, I'm not saying I'm not saying that, like, oh, that's that. But it's <laughs> to expect, yeah, yeah. And, to expect and everything. The, uh, I mean, and, and ballet schools provide great education. I think they produced very versatile dancers. Yeah, I just wonder yeah. if, if the, the other side is something that they can do better. And I mean, that for me, it, it kind of goes hand in hand with why we're doing this podcast um, and why you and I have had this, this dialogue going between us and why we'd like to extend that to other people and gain insight from other people that are either directly or non-directly related to the industry. Yeah, because... basically to give people that context, me and Hayden met a few years ago. I did a very brief internship at intro dance and i'm not a ballet dancer or modern dancer so it was just fate that landed me there but ever since then because we had such different backgrounds we've always yeah taken small moments to either train together but mainly we don't have the time so we just kind of talk about dance and the things we are learning or that we already know which has been enriching for the two of us and that's why we're bringing it to this platform yeah and i think we're both curious to know what insights we can gain from other people outside of our relationship with each other who are maybe doing something completely different that could benefit what we're doing. Yeah, no, it'd be cool to get other people onto this podcast eventually to just, yeah, uh, broaden both our horizons and hopefully share things with an audience that wants to know more. Yeah, exactly. But back to, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your own pre-professional education and, and the pros and cons that you felt that you had? Yeah, so I studied in Fontys and I did the Contemporary Urban course, which is changing a lot. So what I say now isn't a fair uh, representation of yeah of how the school is if people are going or looking for education because I did learn a lot of good things in my education. But yeah, I don't know, like anything, it wasn't perfect. I think the thing I enjoyed the most was the group dynamic there that I had. We had a very varied group of dancers because it was a contemporary urban course which I think naturally obviously draws a certain amount of urban dancers people of different types of either hip-hop or street dance backgrounds so there was a few of us like there was a few guys that like I'm not a breaker but there's a few breakers in the group then there was a few more commercial heads then you have me I don't know what the f I was uh, <laughs> um, 
And then you have some people who had a bit of a ballet modern jazz background as well. But yeah, so there was an there was a nice mixing pot of different dance styles in one studio basically for three years. Yeah. And you really felt that a positive that you could give and take things from each other, weaknesses and strengths. Yeah, like we would jam and train together a bit at first when the workload wasn't too much. We would do a lot of partying together. I was very thankful we had a good year for that because I think dancing in a club is really important. Just dancing with people in general is really important in a non-studio setting. But then our school was cool in the sense that it had a very broad array of styles. So it opened my eyes to a lot of different ways that you can move and train. But because the schedule was really filled then, which obviously I was happy with because I wanted to do a lot of different dance classes, I wasn't very focused. So I didn't feel like I was becoming any one clear thing. Mm. Not that I... That, but that was kind of the benefit of Fonties. I didn't want to be molded into one thing because I didn't know what I wanted to be yet. But I didn't feel like there was a structure in the school while I was studying, at least, helping you define your own artistry and encouraging you to develop that. Yeah, and it makes it harder to see that progression, I guess. Yeah. Like, I, I have friends who studied in the Circus Academy in Fonties, and it's very different. I'm not saying that, like, a dance academy can just adapt that way of working, but you audition for a Circus Academy with a specialty. Mm. So you're a juggler, or you're um, a dance acrobat, or you're a Chinese pole artist, or you're an aerial, or blah, blah, blah. And then you all do a certain amount of acrobatic classes, and then you have specialty classes and the school's funding is split between all the specialties in house. So then you will get a specialized teacher for a certain amount of time and all your personal projects are in your specialty. So your trajectory is for your development. Yeah, I mean, arguably that's kind of what is happening in, um, in Amsterdam. I forget what it's called. AHK, which is of like the overseeing school well, it's like the university that the Dutch National Ballet Academy belongs to. And that has uh, a range of different apartments, including like theatre, urban, modern, classical, which is what I was part of. And I guess it's a bit more similar like that than you, you audition for your specific course. And then you kind of have some, at least in the classical department, we had some exposure to other elements. But the majority of our training was classical. I think in the other departments, maybe they... Are a little bit more balanced so the majority of their training is obviously in the modern department is obviously more modern but i think they probably have more classical classes than what we had contemporary yeah for sure but i'm pretty sure ahaka is has changed their structuring now i don't think they have separate departments anymore oh okay it could be i think they're going in the direction because like all schools are gonna have to because the governments are forcing academies to get smaller anyway but because like Fonties arguably was that you had the contemporary urban and you had the dance theater modern and now you just have contemporary urban and general contemporary. So things are shifting in schools anyway. But I know with mine, like they were trying to define define us into something, but it was for a field that isn't really there yet. There isn't really a flourishing contemporary urban scene in Europe yet. There's a few companies who do some interesting stuff. Yeah. And would graduates of that course go to... Like, is it aimed at creating an industry of companies similar to classical and contemporary companies? Or is it more that you would do that education with the aim of going more commercially? I think the years before me, it was more inclined for kind of a commercial kind of realm of 
work. With my year, I think it's been a, a pretty even split between the kind of jobs people have gotten. Um, some people have gone really into the commercial scene using a lot more of their kind of urban or jazz skills. Um, and then some people have been doing the freelance uh, work scene and then like one or two people have done kind of company like I think one only one girl in my year has gone with the Stats Theatre in Germany and then everybody else is doing freelance work or commercial work so that's kind of the split I like to think our school was building or us towards a freelance scene that just wasn't there when we graduated because of the funding and everything is just yeah it's a tough scene at the moment it's not the most favorable time to be a graduate no and even if you're auditioning for companies I think it's also a lot more difficult right now than it was five years ago when I was graduating school. Yeah, potentially. I wouldn't know because um, I never had planned to be going after company jobs. I always thought I was going to do freelance. And then just after my um, my delusional few months of hanging out with intro dance, I started thinking, oh, I could do this. <laughs> so I don't know. It was cool. Yeah, I learned a lot from it. And I think that was interesting for me to to look at how companies work and to appreciate it and to train in a certain way to just gain certain skills that company dancers have that I didn't. Um, yeah, I think I think an environment like what we have in intro dance is really great at helping with development of dancers because I think you have all that exposure. We have really great rep. The conditions in a company, in any of the companies in the Netherlands are really good for dancers and you're, you're surrounded by other artists who are working hard on the same repertoire that you're working on, which is very yeah. varied. Yeah, it gave me personally being an urban background dancer who did, hadn't done a lot of ballet, it just gave me appreciation for that form, seeing the way you guys worked and the way your bodies worked, it was cool. Because I did do ballet for three years, four times a week in my academy, but I had no goal with it back then. I didn't feel like yeah. it was for me. It's um, hard to see the, the value, I guess, when you're not surrounded by people who that's their thing yeah I was surrounded by people who were like me who it wasn't their thing really <laughs> and so we do ballet and like I learned stuff from it for sure but the difference when I was hanging out with you guys and it wasn't just being in class with you guys that changed it it was just the shift in my own mindset about it I wanted something out of it then and when yeah. you want something out of a class or something, it's just so much more fruitful for you in your development, which I'm I'm aware of now that it's really it's really up to you. Like you can go to the best school in the world or whatever. Now, OK, if you're gone, going to the best school in the world, you're probably already doing all right. But like you can't depend on teachers to to give you all the answers, to give you your motivation and to make you a professional. It's up to you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's that thing of, um, you know, when you're in school, in academic school, you don't want to be there. But suddenly, you a few years pass and you start to have interests in things that you actually studied in school, but you were, weren't interested in at the time. And, and you find yourself reading books or doing research on things that you should have paid more attention to <laughs> six or seven years ago, you know. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah absolutely. I think I think it comes down to us as individuals, I think we get the best education that we can, but it also comes down to accepting that no education can change your mind and be completely all-rounded. And it's up to us to continue our curiosity and to continue our own development to get better. Yeah, for sure. Like, I think, I think one thing 
that I, I've noticed uh, through us talking and stuff is that like well we both already know that no school is going to be perfect no education is going to be perfect yet until we design one of course <laughs> but like the benefit when you go to an academy is at first you get to be submerged in the thing that you love dancing and like your head gets cracked open by all of these different styles as well as these different viewpoints going to see different shows and having to do projects with different people and just seeing what other people do it's just like it I remember the feeling like within one year the way I looked at things was so different the way I felt in my body was so different yeah but then by the end of it you feel saturated you feel like you've done this you're like you're living and breathing this stuff so much that you can't even tell anymore what's going on you can't feel the joy that you used to feel because it's just all that you do and I think that's not necessarily a, bla a bad place to arrive to because it also then motivates you to look outside like how can you bring outside inspiration into your work and I think yeah. that's positive yeah, but it's something that it takes time to figure out. It's not like you just go, ah, I just need more inspiration. It's just, yeah. it's 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 like the low of going through anything that you are trying to make into a vocation and a craft. Yeah, when your hobby becomes a job. Yeah, there's there's the the intermediary moment where, yeah, it goes from something that is your release to then becoming something that you hopefully can live off of, which puts a lot of pressure on it. So it no longer releases pressure, now adds it, and then you have to work out how to balance that. Mm. Yeah, and that's an important thing, I think, as you go along your journey and your career, to remind yourself also to still get that joy from it, because that's, in the end, why we do it. Whether it's the joy of performing or the, the challenge of learning something new, we all got hooked on this somehow. Yeah, like I've been going through a bit of an interesting route with it this year because I have been trying to figure out that reason because I guess I got pigeonholed into thinking that to be a dancer it, I had to be getting certain types of jobs or whatever and like I'm currently looking at maybe doing a master's in something one thing I'm a bit interested in or well, quite interested in is the therapeutic sides of dance which hmm. at first I kind of um I was reluctant about it I wasn't really sure if it was going to be for me but doing doing a week introduction course in code arts previously, like a few months, a few weeks ago, was interesting to just dance with people where there wasn't an objective or a goal that was like aesthetically pleasing. Not that it wasn't, but it just that it, the dance was really just about the dance. It wasn't about being good at it. Yeah, it's more uh, of a personal journey, I guess. Yeah, and, and like just doing an intro course in this just got me in touch with how I used to feel when I first started dancing, and that was pretty cool. So I'm I'm yeah gonna keep digging into this kind of research into finding that feeling again because I do know that becoming a professional has had its toll on my relationship with dance, which I don't want. I don't want that to stay forever because I do love dancing and I want to enjoy this working field even when it's hard. Yeah, because we're hard. lucky. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's hard not when you're working, when it's your job, it's hard not to take that responsibility heavy sometimes. And I definitely go through periods also where it's a weight. But then it's a reminder also to let that go. Because I think also the more that you can let that go and remind yourself why you're doing it, 
keep enjoying the challenge of it. Also, the more your creative side flourishes and uh, the more genuine you are, instead of trying to achieve something and to achieve a goal and be good at something, the more genuine you are towards a process and towards your self-development, I think that that speaks louder and that your creativity benefits from that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Or at least I, I, I also want to believe this and agree. It's just, it's a hard it's a hard um, balance to strike. It's one of those yeah. things that's easy, easier said than done. I do believe in it. I really do believe in it. But uh, I know the struggle that a lot of artists go through that like, you yeah. know that you should love something. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think for me, definitely it's finding a way to continue to do it for myself. Yeah. Yeah. So that my, my development is for myself, for whatever goals I might want to achieve, not to please whoever might be external. And I found over the last few years that that's really helped me. Cool. But uh, yeah, that was a nice little chat about uh, <laughs> about our backgrounds and our education. Yeah, not a rant, just a chat. <laughs> not a rant. Yeah, I guess the one thing that I had more in my education, which you find really interesting now, is like improv, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's kind of where our discussions began, because I recognize the fact that you have a lot of tools that are strong and and that you could transfer to me. And I know that that's an area of mine that's a weakness. And if I want to work with, be creative with choreographers in the future, then I know that I need to learn how to better propose things for the choreographer in service of the work. And to do that, I feel like the best way is to continue exploring and researching my body and my own movement quality and to bring other qualities into myself and learn how to interpret tasks and concepts and that's really something that I missed in my my education and in a repertoire company unfortunately we don't do it a lot we do it sometimes when choreographers come to create pieces but obviously a lot of our repertoire is existing pieces so it's something that I've had a little bit of experience with but definitely want to get better and through conversations with you and other people who have had more experience in that um, I'm finding is the best way and just getting in a studio by myself and doing some exploration, not being afraid to be stupid, which I think is, <laughs> yeah, I mean, word. <laughs> I, I think a lot of the, a lot of classically trained people that I know, that's the hardest thing to get past is not being afraid to look like an idiot. And that's difficult. And I still find it extremely difficult. And for me, that's why tasks and concepts are a really big part of me developing my improvisational skills because then I feel like I have something tangible to hold on to while exploring and researching my body. So I have a goal while I'm researching myself rather than just seeing how I feel and maybe somebody's watching me, you know, and that changes how I feel. So, yeah, I don't know. How does that sound to you? Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get you. Um, like improv, I think if you can enjoy doing it, it's it's arguably like the most natural form of dance or it is because choreographed dance of course it is still dance but you have an objective and I think when you're exploring which is what you do naturally as a kid or if you're like on the dance floor with your friends and stuff like that okay maybe some people don't do that much exploring but it is impromptu like impromptuous what people are doing at that mm -hmm. moment and it's yeah I think that's where the the playfulness exists for me at least I'm most at home researching and improvising 
at the moment with the whole quarantine, I'm just going to the park every day and finding somewhere in the park just to dance with my headphones as loads <laughs> of quarantine people walk by me looking at me strange. Well, as, as long as you're, what is it? Is it one point five or two meters? Okay, as long as you're two yeah. meters away from everybody else, then go for it. Yeah, well, I'm in my zone, so it's it's they have to stay out of my zone. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I think improvising is the best way to research stuff. And what you said about like looking stupid, I always say that to my students that like if you're afraid to look stupid, you're never gonna look good. Yeah, yeah. Because that's probably easier said yeah. than done, you know. But oh, for sure. But it's it's about letting go because we all know it. We all get into it, especially when you're in academies or there's those days when, um, like in your company, when the choreographer comes in and there's casting calls and everything like that. Then everybody, yeah, becomes really self conscious, and you're just trying to execute. It no longer becomes honest when you have a goal mm. in mind. Yeah, and honesty and remaining genuine, I think, is huge in being in the moment and enjoying the process of creating, which improvisation, although like you're not saving anything, it's still a process of creation. Yeah, uh, well, your, your body's still learning. Like it, it's, it is defining pathways. If like if your improvisation is like completely open, the odds are what you're going to do is you're going to hit all your habit points. You're going to mm. have these anecdotal moments of wanting to do a certain movement. But mm. if you if you structure your improv and if you build it with a task in mind or with limitations, then you're just carving away at your current habits. You're you're expanding them. Yeah, um, and that's why it's important. It's an important aspect to train as well and to put time aside for it, because it's not something that you can just do. It's yeah, it requires rehearsal as well. Yeah, like that. That's why like rehearsed pieces, everything has to be set in the end. Although some people do improv pieces, which is pretty cool. Because like I know that my favorite moments in pieces, and I, maybe this is just like because you become a bit of a, a sadist when you're just like stuck in a craft for so long. But the the nicest moments for me when I watch performances is when I can see that somebody's messed up, but like not badly, not like that they mess up and oh no, but that you see how they deal with it. Yeah, they yeah. Ha they actually have to improvise around the structure that they're normally just kind of okay. I'm being really crude here, but like asleep in because like you just get it becomes habitual what you're doing if someone is on tour for 100 shows mm. and those yeah, moments I mean, when people have to yeah figure out a problem is is interesting <laughs> yeah when you mess up and uh runs through your body but then you get back and suddenly you feel lighter you know suddenly everything gets better because the worry of messing up or fear can't say that when you're on stage you're necessarily fearful of making a mistake unless you're doing maybe a complicated piece yeah, when you just let all that go because something's happened. I don't know if you felt that. Yeah, well, I think it's it's the letting it, it go, but then also that like wakes everybody up. Everybody's like yeah. really aware because then you've got to keep... Because the, as a performer, the, the best thing is that you're like working with the team. It's not just you as an individual doing your part and all of those parts make a whole that is artistic. It's like you're you've all part of delivering an image or um let's get like holy here like a message or whatever <laughs> but like the 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 story or idea that the piece is built around and if everybody's connected then i think it's just there is a beauty on stage naturally from that yeah and those I are the... think it comes from or it comes up more if someone's messed up <laughs> yeah because it's the responsibility of everybody to get back on track 
those are the most exciting pieces to perform when you really feel with your colleagues that you're creating an environment on stage or an atmosphere. That's when it becomes really fun. Yeah, it depends but, on the piece, of course. You gotta you gotta groove with. Yeah, the, of course. With... <laughs> Sometimes it gets too out of control amongst yeah. ourselves, but that's uh, good for the audience too. But in yeah, terms just... of improvisation, I think one thing that we really wanted to do with this podcast is help people also with improvisation, like myself, that are having problems and and feel like it's a weakness by maybe offering a task every time we have an episode. Yeah, to just share what we use to train. Maybe maybe it's stuff that people already do, but maybe we can give a different entry to it or whatever. Because yeah. yeah, this the point of this is for learning. Like this, we wanna we wanna learn ourselves through this podcast, and we hope that we can also share what we already know. Yeah. So do you have a a task? Um. Yeah. Well, the a task I I'm playing with more and more now is just like limiting yourself to playing with one movement. It can be whatever you want. You can take a move that you already know that you like a lot, or you want to take something you don't, or you want to take a gesture or something abstract, whatever. Yeah, or, or something from daily life. Yeah, like everybody has to wash their hands a lot at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you can you can take something like this, or just if you're an urban dancer or whatever, or blah. If you have movements that you like doing, you take this task, you try or you take this movement and you try and do it in every direction possible from one point above you like you angle it above you you angle it down front back to the corners of the room so this is step one so you make sure it's not flat or you can change it a bit step two is make it big and small see how big you can do it see how small you can do it step three is move with it can you travel through space you can also add levels here. Can you travel while you're standing? Can you travel while you're on the ground? Can you travel while you're in the middle? Um, yeah, and, and maybe right now while we're all stuck in our apartments, traveling is going to be a bit difficult. True. But like you can travel a little bit. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And then if you're someone who's well-versed with fragmenting your body, you can also look at eventually once you've played enough with this. Because I think this is already a lot to do and can broaden people's perspective on things but it, you can also fragment what each part of your body does how does your head tend to move how does each arm move how does each leg move and just play with this fragment of the move how does the movement have an effect on your whole body and breaking that up basically yeah yeah and it's easy to get stuck on one dimension when you're trying to improvise or extrapolate a movement i guess so to have these four things i think are really useful yeah, they're a good premise for just learning in general. I think they're inside of everything. But uh, yeah, go for it. Play with it. But yeah, as you mentioned, we are all locked inside at the moment because of the yes. coronavirus thing. So I don't know if you have. I haven't done any yet. I'm going to join my first online class on Monday, probably. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, um, I've been a bit reluctant to do it, to be honest. I guess it's just something in my head where home is home and class is outside of my home that I like dancing at home anyway, but that was always my sacred space for me. But I do think it's important to be doing class now, so I'm gonna try. What's your take on this? Yeah, I understand that because I've found it like, I mean, not now, but in general, I find it difficult to like do home workouts because normally I like to go to the gym after work to do whatever workouts I need to do that don't include dance. So obviously being stuck inside, now you have to do those things at home. 
But uh, I mean, in a way, it's a bit of a positive because it also forces us to be creative with our workouts and our classes and find new ways to do things. So actually, the last few days, I found that really positive. And I also haven't done any, like taken any online ballet classes or anything, which I think right now there are, are a lot of, uh, which for me is it's really beautiful to see the dance community come together like that and offer those kind of things to everybody who's stuck at home. So it's really nice to see for me and I haven't done it yet, but I mean, I've been like taking bar by myself. That's something I think most educated classical dancers know how to do for themselves. So, but yeah, I'm also looking at getting into some classes perhaps next week. And I know that um, the company is also looking at options to help us stay in shape while we're not working while we're at home and uh, we'll see then what comes of that. Yeah, I think it's important for us though to to find the round that we don't now tell ourselves too much that we, of course we have to stay in shape and it's important to train and there's a lot of opportunities to do it, but that it doesn't just again become work at home, that you still enjoy the the freedom to dance at home. I think it's really, it's something that I was thinking a lot about this week this week here in the Netherlands, um, things changed from everything being closed to April 6th. And now they've decided that gatherings even inside cannot happen until June 1st. So obviously that's now nine weeks that we're not able to go altogether to the studio to to rehearse. I had thought hopefully that maybe we'd get in back in the studio in April or May, but unfortunately it looks like it's not going to happen. We'll have to wait and see obviously day by day because nobody knows. But so yeah, just, I mean, you just no, go go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, so you're just gonna be sitting at home with your baseball <laughs> bat protecting your um <laughs> your property, waiting for the apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, I was sorry, I, I lost my thought, but I was gonna say that uh, no, I mean, since that shift happened from this being a three week suspension to potentially two months, it really forced a change of mindset because obviously three weeks it's a little bit like okay, it's a bit of a holiday you do what you can to stay in shape in that time so that when we get back, we're ready. But in the meantime, you have things to do around the house that you wouldn't normally have time for. But two months is a long time. So kind of enough time made to me... roll into the studio. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it kind of forced a change of mindset to ask myself, how can I continue my own development at home in whatever areas I desire while I have this time? So in dance and in other areas of life. No, it's cool. I think it is a blessing and a curse, but we just need to try and focus on the blessing part. Because like I haven't, I, I haven't danced in a park in ages. Um, not that I used to do it all the time, but it's just nice to actually dance not in a room, not in a studio. Because I, I was training mainly in dance studios for the last probably year. Because the house I live in, the floorboards are really creepy and stuff and it's just it's not a handy place to train where I used to I would have trained a lot in my house before Mm. so now I'm just yeah I'm forced to either do it in here where I'm staying at the moment or to go to the park and do it and I just it's so nice dancing outside it's just yeah it's so good for the mind so I'm thankful that I've kind of been limited into making that decision yeah I mean limitations force us to be creative So, yeah, like you said, it's a blessing and a curse. And I think that's an important thing to remember also. Like for me, the fact that a weakness of mine is improvisation, that's what I feel. And it's an area that I've been working on. And I realized the other day that actually I can continue to work on that from home. 
you don't need to have an entire studio to improvise by yourself and to explore your body. So that's definitely something that I'll continue. And it's really nice to have that change of mindset. Yeah, but it's so funny that because like people who come from a more street and urban dance background, so many people will dance at home or any place that they can because they just want to train. And normally they don't have the facilities to be training in a studio all the time. And they also, they train in the club. They want to dance. And let's not call it training. They just dance. Um, But I know that, like, and that was me. That really was me. Like, there was no stopping me from dancing every day before I started studying dance. And I still dance a bit every day. But normally now it's when I can get a studio. And if I can't get a studio, I go and do other errands and chores and things I have to do. Yeah, exactly. Um, Which is so sad that I have given up just that for the like the need of studio it's like becoming quite spoiled in a certain way yeah exactly yeah so I'm I'm thankful to be getting back to base with that at the moment even though it's yeah the situation isn't favorable in more than one way but yeah it's, yeah it's a difficult situation and like we have a responsibility also to the company to maintain our form and coordination in this time so that when we do get back we're ready to go it's obviously going to be difficult that it's going to be potentially so long. But uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a weird thing happening right now for the entire world, but also particularly for the arts world. You yeah, know, people, we're screwed. Yeah, I mean, performances cancelled indefinitely because of gather, like large gatherings being um, outlawed. And so that means a lot of people, musicians, dancers, losing gigs. You, you yourself, a freelance freelancer or um, that's the realm that you live in and that you mostly work in Uh, yeah how how are you finding this affecting your income and what are you thinking about the future well I have no work Uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah like I was I was supposed to like work for a day in Belgium obviously has to be postponed hopefully just postponed and not permanently cancelled but everyone's gonna make do there was an audit I had an audition coming up that the same well it turned into an online audition now I think a lot of things will be like that but there are auditions for work that has set dates and those dates are now being blocked out by yeah the the lockdown like I also was yeah I had a lot of work in April with teaching and like assisting and now that's all gone and there's no guarantee that this stuff comes back so at the moment I'm okay I have my savings I have my kind of last paychecks which are grand like I think the government in the Netherlands is gonna try and help freelancers out funding wise for a bit but even if this is finished by the first of June it's like in that period of time by working or going to auditions you line up the rest of your work for the for coming periods yeah Yeah. so prospective projects are also not looking good yeah, because people can't organize their, they can't hold auditions for them. So yeah. if the, if things do come back online, then people will either have to pull from dancers they already know, which is something that happens a lot in the freelance space anyway. But yeah, it just, it limits ava- like possibilities down the line as well. Like teaching yeah. should hopefully stay intact, but I know the academies all have the stress now of like having to postpone their auditions. So even... Mm. Even people, even pre-professional people looking for training. This thing is affecting everybody in the arts. Obviously, the, yeah, the harshest thing is the people who are living off of it at the moment. Who, yeah, they, it's a lot of insecurity now 
for the future six months to a year on what yeah. things will be still there to fund people and everything. That's probably the scariest thing, right, is first of all that people like yourself immediately feeling this in that projects are being cancelled and future projects that you could be auditioning for right now are not happening, but also that globally we don't know what the economic like aftermath is going to be of this. Yeah, because there was already the cuts happening in a lot of countries in Europe this year with the arts, and now the world is going to be pushed into a recession because of this. Yeah, um, I mean, f- fingers crossed not, but yeah. Yeah, yeah no, fingers crossed not, but yeah, of course, this is at the moment, the other governments are having a bailout, both a lot of companies and hopefully freelancers, and that they're going to have to support basically they're going to basically have to hold the economy up by its laces by the shoelaces its bootstraps there's definitely need to be some stimulation and i mean it's scary for like small business owners yeah like shop owners and things like that as well so obviously not just the art scene this is being felt by everybody yeah yeah so i just hope that when this whole thing blows over that like some more right-wing governments that are currently in power in Europe aren't going to just further slash money out of the arts to give it to other things. Yeah. Um, yeah. That would be scary because both, okay, you, you're in a slightly more secure space because you're working with a company under contract, but that company still is reliant on funding from the government. So you're probably okay. The odds are the funding for that is probably going to stay there. But if they have to cut it from the arts, then they could cut it more from the freelance kind of space, which like people are going to suffer across the board, but some people are going to suffer more than others. Like, I'm not saying that we have it the worst in the arts or anything like that. Well, the arts has always struggled, but I just mean that the world is in a tough bind at the moment. And it's not just us, but it definitely will be us for sure. Mm. The other thing, let's say the other thing about all this is... uh... I mean, we touched on it before, but fitness, um, like how are you still getting in your, besides going to the park and jamming a bit, you're doing anything in particular to maintain your fitness throughout this? Um, well, I, <laughs> I, did I just really put you on the spot now? And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I haven't been doing enough training. I'd say the last like day or two, I've been getting more into it again just doing little workouts from apps and stuff or just playing with handstands and headstands off of the ca- like just like holding onto the couch and stuff trying to just play with whatever things are here to use to move around and just like maintain strength and stability yeah but yeah i yeah. haven't i i need to get more into a a regime that a you regime. are now going to brag <laughs> about how great no, no, no. <laughs> no, it's just like something that i've been doing is I mean, I'm used to doing things at work and then also going to the gym and doing a little bit of weightlifting. And obviously now that's not possible because all the gyms and things are closed here. So I've been doing the last few days a little bit of calisthenics. I don't know if you've read much about it. Um, like, you've probably really. seen those those videos of the like jacked dudes at the park. <laughs> yeah, like swinging on bars and shit. Oh, body weight. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Stuff, yeah. So... I was thinking, like, what's the next best thing? What's something I can do at home without really much equipment? I have, like, a pull-up bar and a couple of resistance bands and stuff. So just watched a couple of videos on uh, YouTube about that just to get started with it. It's actually really difficult. Oh, for sure. Yeah, like, no wonder those dudes are jacked. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
But uh, a couple of guys, that, for anyone that's listening, a couple of guys that uh, I found on YouTube that have been really helpful. There's a guy named Chris Haria and another guy named Tao Physique. That's their YouTube names. So if, anybody, yeah, name. if anybody's uh, interested, give that a search on YouTube. And something else that I've also found helpful is that, I don't know if you've seen, you know Chris Hemsworth, Thor. Yeah. So he has like a, like a app, which basically is like his team of like nutritional and training experts that he's used over the years because he's pretty muscular dude. And so his app is called Center. And right now they have it for free for six weeks because of the whole coronavirus. Oh, so it's, cool. Yeah. So it's really nice that things like that are trying to help people who are stuck at home. What's the app called again? It's called uh, Center with no E, just C-E-N-T-R. Cool. And by the way, we are not being paid for these little plugins. But <laughs> <laughs> no, I we just... are definitely not making any money from this. <laughs> no, I just thought that anybody who's listening might find that interesting. No, um, I'm just looking it up because I do need more motivation for it. But cool. Great. Yeah, it's really good. You, like stuff you can follow and they have really good recipes as well. So I'm going to give that a look. Nice, man. I think that's uh, everything we wanted to talk about today. Yeah. So, yeah, for those who have tuned in, even if you find this in a million years in our destroyed society by um, coronavirus. Um, <laughs> Post-apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you find this in some time capsule. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks for tuning in. Yeah, and hopefully we'll be able to have more convers- interesting conversations between the two of us and get other interesting people on. There's yeah, few, well, not, like... not during Corona time, I don't think. <laughs> well, we can always do it like this. True. Yeah, actually true. But uh, I mean, there's a few there's a few other fields that are non, not directly related to dance that I'd also like to get gain insight on personally. And that's things like nutrition and psychology and physical fitness and things like that, which I think can be really beneficial to us, um, yeah. you know, obviously outside of the inside of other choreographers or directors or things like that. Yeah, cool. I think this is, yeah, I, I would love to like chat to somebody about nutrition and finally like hear what I need to hear about <laughs> fixing my my um, nutrition maybe a bit better because I'm a veget I'm a vegetarian. Well, I, I don't like labeling it or whatever. I'm a conscious eater. Sometimes I eat more vegan, sometimes I eat more vegetarian, sometimes I do eat fish because I just feel my body needs it. But I am always interested to to learn more about these things. Um, oh my god! Oh, don't judge me. Don't, don't, don't judge. <laughs> uh, see, there's no, there's no, there's no winning. Because if I say I'm a vegetarian, and then so, and then one day I'm eating fish, then you just have to talk about yeah, this all the true. time. I'm just true. tired of of like having a label. I just try to source my food more ecologically when I can. Yeah, that's always positive. Yeah, as sustainable as you can. Eat whole food and things. Sustainable. Like that. that was the word I was looking for. Thank sustainable. you. Sustainable. Conscious yeah. eater. E- ecological. <laughs> um, well, on, but... on on that note, on uh, Dylan's ecological, sustainable, <laughs> conscious diet. Yes. I guess. Thanks for uh, listening to the first episode of uh, Dance Rants. Yeah, not not so much ranting this time, but it'll not, come. It'll, it'll come. definitely come. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. Peace out, guys. Thank you.